WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the Comics XF interview podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is the writer of the new series Realm of X and Red Sonia, and soon will be taking over Venom and Carnage, Torin Grunbeck. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. So what are some of the first comics you remember reading? Uh, this is always a hard question because I, I'm I'm from Norway, as you might be able to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in Norway. I grew up in Norway. So I the first comics I read were some strange, I would say Danish ones, because I couldn't like we could usually read the Scandinavian languages, but I couldn't read the English comics. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, and, and at my local store, we got like Donald Duck. Yeah. Um, which was always sort of, you know, mildly disappointing. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, I mean, let's be honest here. It's just, it is what it is. Um, but then there, there is a great Danish comic called Valhalla, okay. uh, written by Peter Peter Madsen. Uh, and I, I usually, whenever I say his name, I usually go, not the submarine killer, like the other Peter Madsen, <laughs> unless I got something entirely mixed up here um because there is that famous crazy danish guy who who killed a journalist on a self-made submarine i don't know anyway that's the first one i can sort of remember being like oh this is something like this is this is fucking amazing um but i would say that the first uh, i i didn't begin to to sort of get properly into comics before I could read English with any sort of confidence. So I would be around like 10, 11 or something and just read anything I can get my hands on, pretty much. But not, as you would think, a lot of Marvel and DC, just because uh, we had them in Norway. We had some translations and, and I could find something at a local thrift store, but it was just minimal compared to all the Belgian and French stuff and, and everything from UK and everything. Of course. Now, uh, you post a lot of videos from your cabin, and I've got to say, first of all, it looks gorgeous there. Uh, what kind of wild critters do you get running around by you? <laughs> I like that. The thing is, what I do on social media is that I am opaque. Like, I don't say anything. I don't have opinions on social media, not because I don't have any opinions. It's just I just can't be bothered, right, to have discussions about anything with anyone who gives shit um so what i do is that the only thing i post is the like the stuff from my trail cam like i have a cabin in the in the swedish woods and i i set up a few cameras to the chagrin of my forest neighbors who do not like the idea of being <laughs> recorded in any way mm-hmm. uh i was told when this is a crazy story like there was let, let's just say like it was sort of a murder in the forest okay uh, this summer oh. And I was told, like, you don't you don't share any footage like from those fucking cameras. Keep to the <laughs> keep to the to the animals. That's it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we get mooses and uh, or moose, one moose, several moose. I don't know. Um, and a deer and a lot of rabbits and a little fox and a lynx, which is always a good time. Um, and there are bears in the forest, but I've never seen one. Uh, and But I just saw a pack of foxes, which made my, I would say, my winter, because not a lot of it's happening over here. So when you see a pack of foxes, or no, I'm sorry, wolves, like, it's a, it's a good it's a good year. I would like to point out we are five minutes into the episode and we have already discussed two murders. <laughs> 
Yes. Oh God. And and I'm just like, okay, I, I, I love it. I love it. This is oh. where the Nordic mafia hangs out. Good to know. Oh, the, the thing is, like, I, I I'm sort of I'm scared to tell this story just because it's just it, they are just so strange these forest people and you everyone and i can sort of relate because when you're up there and you live there full time and i go there for weeks at a time just to write and i'm alone um and i'll be like outside chopping wood trying to figure out how to you know kill someone in an inventive way like how can <laughs> carnage be extra horrible today right um so i'm one of the weird ones just just so that we're clear but when something <laughs> like that happens and you get into it like uh, this is a horrible thing. But I was talking to to some people and they told me about the, the death and they went, yeah, we, we went up there and we um, we shot the dog. And I'm like, you, you did what? Well, we shot it. The, they would have wanted to go together. And I'm like, what? What? You shot the fucking dog? And I'm like, yeah, you. they would have wanted to go on the same day. And I'm like, well, sure. I mean, there's some logic to it, I suppose. Um, Okay. And, and it's just like, the, it's just forest logic, right? And I love it. Uh, but it's very nice to stay there and then leave. That's the trick. You don't stay there and just stay. Because then you will become one of them forever. And you might be in some kind of trouble. And then maybe in a few decades time, you'll end up shooting dogs. Which I do not condone. Yeah, no no, no old yellering. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> So uh, let's let's start off talking about Realm of X, your brand spanking new Marvel series with uh, artist Diogenes Nevis, colors Frame Barreto, and letterer Clayton Cowles. Uh, Matt, you've had a week off in behind the scenes time to rest those golden pipes. What you got for us? Leaping straight from the astonishing events of this year's Hellfire Gala, the unlikely team of Magic, Mirage, Marrow, Dust, and Typhoid Mary find themselves stranded in Vanaheim? And what's even more confusing, the locals seem to believe that they hold the key to fulfilling a prophecy that can either, either raise the realm to riches or cause it to fall to ruin. With magic's powers malfunctioning and a mysterious figure amassing power on the outskirts of the realm, these X-Men are going to have to band together if they want to stay alive long enough to find their way home. Now, you've done a lot in the uh, Asgardian corners of Marvel the past few years, stuff like Valkyrie, Jane Foster, Thor. How are you enjoying branching out into the mutant side of things? See, I'm, I'm having I'm having the absolute time of a lot in my life, but I would say that it is a sort of different beast. I think I know what makes a good like Thor comic or Valkyrie comic, but I'm trying to figure out what makes a good X-Men comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep asking people, like, what do you think makes a good X-Men comic? So what do you, th- you guys, what, were you, what do you think makes a, for like a great X-Men comic? I think especially in the last few years, the mix is important right so there are so many there are so many freaking mutants now and you ask 10 different people and they will tell you they have 10 different favorite characters and so you know so for example with realm of x one of the things i like is you've got the mix first of all you've got you've got an all-women team awesome you know you've got characters like Ilyana and Danny Moonstar who have been mainstays of new mutants and and kind of perpetually moving to the adult Thanksgiving table over the last 40 years or so you know you've got Marrow who you know that's that that's like a whole cluster of people's like problematic fave 
you know, and then, and then you're also throwing in Typhoid Mary, who's a mutant, but's never gotten to play the mutant sandbox. So it's a lot of it is about the mix and seeing how different characters about getting to see how they bounce off each other. Yeah, you, you pretty much hit the nose, on, hit the nail on the head for me, too. I, I like that we exist in a time when Krakow with all of these different characters and you can now it's not just Cyclops, Jean Grey, Wolverine, Professor X, Gambit, Rogue and Beast. Not that I don't love many of those characters, but as a longtime Daredevil person, it's so cool to see Typhoid Mary playing in a completely different field than I'm used to seeing that character. See, I, I, um, yeah, that was great, by the way. That was a lot more eloquent than I would have been able to answer that question. I would have gone something like, uh, like, like horniness with punching, <laughs> possibly at the same time. I don't know. I mean, that uh, was Chris Claremont's philosophy. So, yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, uh, but it, but it is a sort of like, it is a strange thing because, um, everyone has their own favorite x-men and it's never who you think is going to be and they're always some sort of like oh it's based on 20 minutes of some cartoon from the 90s uh, that they <laughs> like watched on repeat over and over again therefore they are attached to this character more than anything um and it's been interesting to see sort of the response and i know all the magic fans are pissed at me which is understandable um and I, I find this sort of interesting how like you want to see your characters but you don't want them to go through anything horrible i suppose uh which makes sense but that's how you make stories so i don't know uh but it's been it's been interesting and i, I would say i would except for possibly the enchantress people i've never seen a more sort of vocal uh fan base ever in a, like in a fun, fun, cool way. Like I've never seen a more uh, like involved and sort of enthousi enthusiastic fan base, which has been sort of fantastic. And um, I've gotten a great welcome so far, but I'm terrified. I mean, I, they are scary. I, I will say, as someone who just is admittedly a big Daredevil fan, life isn't good for you unless life is miserable for Matt Murdock. That is one character <laughs> where the whole thing is how miserable can a writer make Matt's life? Yeah. That's, I mean, but it is sort of what we're, like, that's what we're trying to do, right? Like, so, um, like with, with Magic now, I know, and I love Magic. I just, it's one of my, like, all of them are my fucking favorites. It's, it's one of, the, I got the question, like, so who did you, why did you choose this cast of characters? Um, and the thing is, like, we needed a, a slightly random selection of characters. That was important just for the story, just because how they got there. And it would be, very strange. It was too sort of streamlined uh, and harmonious. But having said that, like I love these women, I love them a lot, and and I'm uh, I would say my only complaint so far is that I realize that I don't have the space to do all the things that I would like to do because what you really want to do is just have have them argue for four issues, right? But we have to have you know plot and things that happen and everything uh but it's so fun to write the scenes when they're arguing and it's so easy because you have um you have marion there who just she will she can she can make it that's her mutant power she can make an argument out of anything <laughs> anywhere absolutely and we definitely saw a lot of that uh in the first issue um I want to I want to step backward for a minute before we keep diving into Realm of X. Uh, 
what can you tell us about the day you got the call? Hey, would you like to step in and do a run on Thor? <laughs> I'm assuming those are the well, words, but you know, they might have been different words. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was pretty much. Well, I mean, that was that was a good day. Um, I think I think I was. I, I it was a strange thing. I was at the cabin. I was writing uh, some other things, and I was completely alone, which often happened. Uh, and I don't have anyone to sort of talk to. Um, and then, and this rarely happens. Someone came by, uh, with like firewood or something, and we had one of those conversations. And I tried to explain why I was so happy. And it's almost impossible to, to explain to someone who is not familiar with Marvel why it was a big deal. So I just, mm -hmm. I ended up, I, I remember thinking like, well, that didn't go well. Like I sat there, you know, when you say a bunch of things and then you have a meltdown a couple of hours later, <laughs> that was that day for me. It was a lot of happiness, then meltdown. <laughs> and... You know, leading up to that, you got to work alongside folks like Al Ewing and Jason Aaron, you know, in your in your earliest writing at Marvel. What what is a piece of advice that either of them might have given you that stuck with you? Hmm. I mean, I think like for Jason, I worked quite closely with Jason for a while. And Jason has this sort of he's got a sort of freedom in the way he thinks. He's got an imagination like no one I've ever met. Um, and he's sort of I'm not sure if it's advice, but certainly for for writing superhero comics, it was sort of just like let go of any restraints and just make the story work in the most magical, unexpected way you can can do. I suppose like I, it, and he never sat me down and said those words. It was just like through the process of working with him, I just I kept texting like, "Can I do this?" And he's like, "Yeah, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Like just whatever." Uh, and it was it was an amazing sort of introduction to writing for Marvel for many, many reasons, not only just because Jason is one of my best friends and being able to work with him was great. Um, but it just felt like we were like we sort of knew what we were doing and and I had he had my back and and we it felt like happy and just a joyful experience all around. Um, it's a sort of disgusting advice. Just, just be happy. And, I don't know. Um, but I mean, there is a sort of like, if you can be unexpected, be unexpected, rather than do anything else. Like, just try to um, delight people more than you try to do anything else. Um, and obviously, make sure there's a plot and a story and everything sort of pulls together in the end. Mm -hmm. But, but having people be thrilled. Um, when you go through it, sort of look at the the panels that people remember from the different stories. I I notice it because people tag me in them when um, they post like panels they they remember for the from the different runs. They there's always the delight factor, right? Like the, someone's someone feels like this this feels important or this made me like laugh out loud or you know sob on the bus or something. Um, and those moments are more important than you think uh, when you're writing something, I think. Uh, and then uh, on Thor, you got to write arguably Marvel's two biggest villains, Thanos and Doctor Doom. Who, after that, you know, who does that leave on your on your big bad bucket list? Oh my God, there's 
so many. Uh, the thing is, I like a good villain. I like mm-hmm. I I feel I I feel like I I can turn anyone into a villain if I want to, and I feel like I'm I'm uh, sort of like I'm writing Carnage right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would like I wouldn't have thought it would be the most fun I've ever had in my life, but it is. And you know, you might start to question some things when you think like Cletus Cassidy is making sense, but he is. Um, and there is something I think a good villain is like we need that more in many ways than we need the heroes, just because like a, an eloquent good villain will be able to point out some things that. I think is important in fiction and then obviously we need someone to come in and do something about it um but I I like the villains and it's it's been I I got to write Doom for a sort of Wastelanders one shot um a few couple years back and it was I realized um that that was like one of those oh I can just I could write him forever like this is the best thing ever um so when we were discussing sort of what we can do with Thor and try to figure out um how we could sort of land the plane I suppose um just that we had the one of those like so when did we see Doom in Thor last time like it, it is a while ago let's see if we can do something and it was I mean it's most fun ever back to Roman Vex we you know we started uh off a little bit talking about the cast that you're dealing with uh, but also I was curious how the, the, uh, you know, well, for, first of all, I, I, I guess I want to know more about the shaping of, of the team, but I was also curious how, uh, you came upon the villain of the series who's revealed at the end of the first issue. See, should we talk about who the villain is or should we not? Like, it feels like a spoiler. Like, I'm not sure if... It seems like the reviewers are just like, we don't care. We're just going to tell it. <laughs> well, I'll put, right? I'll put it this way. Uh, Listeners, spoilers for a comic that's been out for a couple of weeks. If you mm-hmm. don't want us to spoil, you know, move ahead. Feel free to move ahead. It's Saturnine, guys. <laughs> it's... The thing is, like, if we, we wanted someone who was sort of mutant adjacent somehow, uh, okay. because we could go like full Norse nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it would necessarily have worked well as an X-Men book. And I sort of struggle with that just in, um, like, should we go full fantasy? Should it just be uh, swords and sorcery? And, and, like, and I can do that that quite well i think um but it it feels like a very different sort of genre in in many ways uh, and bringing in someone mutant sort of adjacent would l- allow us to do a lot of things that would not be holden to the sort of the fantasy genre um i did at some point realize that what we were doing was just like it is the first book of narnia basically um mm-hmm. Uh, and, and because we had the fucking white witch in there and I <laughs> thought that was delightful uh, might be the only one who thought I don't know I tried to tried to tell the editorial they were like yeah sure well, yeah just, I don't know it sort of worked out well right Nobody gets <laughs> right. I don't know <laughs> um, but yeah it was, it was sort of like a, I wanted to not make it so fantasy that it would be just odd and strange and feel exceptional detached from the rest of everything that's going on um and it sort of 
it is detached in the sense that the um, uh, at least for the, the first issue like they are not in contact at all with Midgard and they do not know what's happening um with the other mutants and um that sort of detachment from the rest of what's going on is a huge plot point throughout um but I, I wasn't sure like should we have like I, I know it just it just felt strange to be like yeah let's have marrow battle the trolls i don't know um would i mean it would work but i i'm not sure um so so bringing in someone else that was sort of could be able to sort of spice things up and, and be able to take it into some weird 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 directions i gotta admit like it's just but i'm loving it it's just we, we got the possibility to do so because we got a villain that um can have plans beyond those of getting gold and uh, a magical artifact right which is sort of the fancy tropes and also saturnine i mean still still a fantasy villain it's just you know from a completely different uh really use the word mythology that's not the right word but you know what i mean a, a, a british a british fantasy villain versus a uh as you know norse uh norse mythology fantasy villain put it that way sure yeah um now You've all, you've got Typhoid on the team that we talked about, uh, and then you have you also have Marrow, who traditionally, uh, you know, previously held the role of like wild card or whatever mutant team she's on. How do you go about sort of differentiating roles, not just between those two, but among the cast? Well, I I find it interesting, especially when there's an old female cast, just because we have um, like magic who would usually probably be in charge somehow um be failing to do so just because she, she she's quite powerless and there is something in the realm of of um Vanaheim that's sort of draining the powers so she doesn't have access to the magic that she would usually have access to so she is like she's quite ordinary at the moment which is a terrifying sort of prospect in itself um and then you have Danny Moonstar who would necessarily and always sort of take one for the team um but there is sort of there is something a little bit unfair about that as well and i think when you have especially when you have like a female team with a bunch of we have refugees from the gala um sort of stuck in vanaheim and we have people who are sort of like oh we need to of course someone's going to need to be there and protect them um it causes a sort of interesting what roles do people play sort of in the um, uh within the group um and having danny do like danny always does and take responsibility and be quite sensible um and then marry doing pretty much what she, she's always going to do which is just sort of burn things down i don't know uh she's uh She's not exactly being the, at her most helpful, um, but it, we, we, I just wanted to have characters that would um, rub up against each other a little bit and create a bunch of friction. And no one is happy with the role they sort of landed in. Um, but then again, they just have to do what they have to do, right? Because there is a mm -hmm. war coming and they have to 
you know, when there's a war coming, you do what you need to do. Um, and but there's always also the the sort of prospect of they've landed in a civil war in Vanaheim. A lot of people have a lot of expectations to of what sort of what they're supposed to be providing um, for Vanaheim or uh, possibly in the fight. Um, and like they're mostly concerned with getting home like they are not necessarily fully invested in um in staying there um and there is i don't know i just needed uh, a bunch of different characters to be able to sort of make everything work out in the way that i i hope it will um i realized like I, i'm finishing off the the last issue now like i could have written like three more issues in the middle there um mm-hmm. with all the nonsense we had planned but i mean it is like it's miniseries at Marvel. It is what it is. <laughs> Nature of the beast. Uh, and then you also have Curse, who uh, fills this role of sort of a, a, a mutant MacGuffin. And and, a par- and also, I, this was not a character that I was familiar with. Apparently, she's existed since the beginning of the Krakoan era. Uh, but whose biggest role was in the Marvel Unlimited Infinity comic, X-Men Green. Uh, with a character like that, to what degree does is she largely a a blank slate for you to to play with and and mold a little bit well i mean to to a certain degree like she's growing up which is interesting um just because no one quite knows how powerful she is um and she's been called like the like a truly evil soul like a like a horrible evil person um and there is something interesting there in a sort of like this young girl who who feels guilt and and seems always um step wrong and bring others pain and she's not quite sure where what she feels about it um and in the end there's sort of the question like is she a villain or is she not and 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 if like if she if she is the one who's going to choose, like I don't think anyone is going to be able to sort of foresee how she is going to choose, which is sort of what we're basing the entire prophecy on, um, because one of the main points of the of or, or the main beats of the book is the fact that there is a prophecy that has foreseen uh, the arrival of the mutants, and because Vanaheim is a, sort of the realm of prophecy, um, mm-hmm. where. I, there is some some beauty to the sort of like the, the the future is in the the water and the air and everything if you just know where to look. Um, but suddenly they can't see it anymore because there is some moment happening during that war that includes the mutants and no one is able to see past that moment in time. So all of Anaheim is sort of they're they're looking into darkness that the future is no longer in the water and in the air because it's just darkness um and um the sort of unpredictable element here uh is possibly curse but i'm not going to like possibly Uh, one of the interesting things about this period of X-Men, uh, aside from all the peril uh, that mutants find themselves in, is because the inciting event happened at the Hellfire Gala, a lot of these characters in the various uh, books are running around in their costumes from the Hellfire Gala. Uh, now, with the outfits for for your uh, your folks, did Diogenes, did Diogenes uh, design these outfits or were they handed down from another artist who had drawn them during the gala issue? I think he designed... I think he designed all of them. I, th- I think so. 
um and he got to because we are are doing uh they get an outfit change into sort of fantasy gear in the next issue uh so he got to do it twice the lucky fucker <laughs> um poor bastard that he is he's doing some amazing absolutely stunning work but i i am sort of terrified that we'll kill him in the end but it will we'll see the x-men are no stranger to the Ten Realms, especially Danny, sometimes Valkyrie, Moonstar. Uh, but this is Vanaheim and the Vanir, which is specifically not Asgard and the Aesir. Uh, what does an X fan who maybe hasn't checked out Thor in a while need to know about Vanaheim? Uh, good restaurants, tourist traps, things like that. Well, there are a bunch of those. Like you have to go see. Like I think the most <laughs> important thing to know uh, is that the, the Vanir are as powerful as the Guardians. Uh, they're just they just don't like to talk about it as much. So they're sort of prideful bastards walking around in Wanaheim, being like, "Well, we, we could be Asgard, but we're not." Um, there was an Asgardian Vanir war uh, many years ago that sort of ended in in. Uh, a truce. That's how Freya got to to Asgard in the first place, um, if I remember my lore correctly. Um, and it, they had at some point they had technology that rivaled that of Asgard and weapons and and citadels, huge mountains and, and sort of big cities. Uh, but all the attention brought war and they decided to leave it all behind. And that is sort of one of the really important things. Like they, at some point, decided we're going to leave the citadels, we're going to leave uh, all the technology and be like prideful and live a simpler existence. Unlike those fuckers in Asgard. Like there is some, I don't know. I, I would say like they, they're not the best of friends, but they're allies, which is also sort of important um but it is one of those things that i had to remind people when we were talking about the vanir just they are powerful warriors in their own rights um they're just they just don't have their own costumes and and they don't name all of their weapons like those guardians now the x-men are used to having precogs uh especially since my beloved destiny was resurrected and joined the quiet council. Uh, but a whole society of destinies having vague visions of the future and using them to kind of throw shades on everyone sounds kind of completely exhausting to an outsider. Oh, well, the thing is like, it is, I, I thought about this a lot and, and um, there is something truly interesting about when you sort of, you're, you know where things are going to end uh, pretty much, but, you don't necessarily know how you get there. Um, and I think that's pretty much the case in any any life, any always, right? We're all gonna die. That's sort of that's the ending. So spoiler alert for everyone out there. <laughs> um and they, like there is a we have a concept in the next book, uh like in, in the second one where we describe um a ceremony that they perform for the children when they're quite young, where a, a seer will sort of look into the future and give them three words that they need to sort of take into account about their future. And one of the things that we, we learn and that is that you can change your fate, right? They, they've done it before. Uh, they can do it again. Um, and so if you... You, you are able to, to a certain extent, sort of change your fate if you want to. Um, 
and I think there's something interesting in sort of uh, it, it adds up with the prideful nature of the Vanir and the fact that they've sort of chosen a simpler existence where um, the the moment is all that matters and everything. Um, so I, I so it it works as long as you live in like fantasy woods with and your life's resolve like it's it's war and love and uh you know hunting and gathering might not work as well in in Krakoa. i don't know now when it comes to norse mythology has there ever been a moment where you got to you know come in at any point during your Marvel writing and be like, no, this isn't how it would work. And, you know, just sort of, um, actually the rest of the uh, <laughs> editorial team. I would, I would say that the, um, actually is we, I had to stop doing that within like the first two days because <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, but uh, there is a sort of, I think the only time I've had like a thing was we, I had a, there was a sort of like a captions about the frost giants. Um, and, and I said something like the 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 giant um well it was, it was some kind of back and forth between me and will about how the Jotun um and he was like but aren't they giants anyway like no 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 that's like the misconception because you think they're all blue giants but Jotun are like they're they're different they're like they can appear as people and they there are different sides like but other than that, I think the only thing I try to do is from time to time is to add some more lore. Um, and I sort of, I enjoy the joyful, nonsensical version of Norse mythology that sort of Marvel is doing. I, I'm I'm into it. Um, my mother is not. Like she she finds it heretical. She, she has notes uh, <laughs> and, and she will tell me over dinner for hours and hours, um, and explains uh, her her alternative versions. Uh, we I come from a very like Norse like all my sisters, all my all my brothers and sisters are named after. Uh, I'm named after Thor. They're all named after other people in Norse mythology. It's like it is a parody of what you think a Norwegian household is to the point where like I used to go to Viking uh, like reenactment festivals as a kid and. Mm spend a series like a week in Viking garb tending the fire because we were like cooking a pig like it was just a parody of Norwegians is what what I am like I have my if I flip the camera up you would see my Viking sword hanging above me like it's just it is ridiculous um but I would say that the, the Marvel versions it's just so full of joy and delight that I I just love it. It's um I think they would approve. <laughs> oh, it's excellent. Um, what is? Do you have a favorite thing from Norse mythology that isn't in the comics in any way? Yes, but the thing is, I've spoken to Al, and it might be might be coming up. Okay, so I'm then. not going to say anything. All right. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those. It's one of those things where he he he. Uh, we were on Slack together, and he he was like, "Hey, are you doing something with?" Uh, and I was like, <laughs> "Fuck you, are you?" Uh, but the thing is, he because I was I was not planning to, but I was planning to like on in the long run. Um, but I know his version is going to be awesome um, because he's Al Ewing, and you know, you know. 
Oh yeah, no, no. In fact, I was reading Immortal Thor number one today, and I'm like, "Ooh, I'm, I, this is this is pretty good." <laughs> Please tell me it's the t- that we're gonna actually see the Marvel version of Thor be first forced to dress as a woman while Loki tries to marry him off to some frost giants. Why have no one story. ever done this before? Like, how could that not have been a thing? Because when you have that myth going into it, and no one's done anything with it. How? Like, how did we get through decades of Marvel nonsense? How did we go through the eighties without that happening? I don't know. You know what? Let, let, it's it's because Jack Kirby didn't get to do his Ragnarok story. That's why. That's what I'm going with. So he did, deprived us from cross-dressing <laughs> Thor. That is a fucking shame. <laughs> let the blip solely at Stan's feet. Uh, but you know, we've talked a lot about. Uh, uh, the Thor and the X-Men and Marvel and all of that. You're also writing Red Sonja for Dynamite. Uh, you know, one, one of the bigger non-big two comics characters out there. How did this opportunity come about? Well, I think, I, I don't know. I, I, was, I was talking to, to Joe Ryband, who is the editor. And um, like, I suppose he thought I would be a good fit. I hope I am. Uh, I, I would, when the opportunity sort of, came around it felt very much like something that would be in my wheelhouse i used to yeah i used to play red sonia when i was growing up just because she's just so awesome mm-hmm. um uh, i i don't think i've ever said yes to anything faster he was just like do you want to do this thing and i was like yeah okay let's do it like it was no discussion no so how much how like it was just yes let's do it and let's see um and we had it like I really wanted Walter to do to do the arch, uh, and he made it happen. Um, and it's been one of those. It is a like oddly, just smooth process. Like Walter just gets everything right on the first try, and like like you just it's so much fun to do. And and I would say especially in this time and in this world that we're currently sort of hurtling through, where everything is. Um, I don't even know what to say. Like, it's just, it, it feels like we're on the brink of collapse on every, every, like every, everywhere, all, all, all over the place at all times. Like, it's great. Um, Real quick, are just, we talking about Hyperborea? Are we talking about life in 2023? We're talking about life in 2023 or 20, like, I got the thing in 2022 and everything uh-huh. is just like, everything is falling the fuck apart, right? And it's just, it's so strange. Uh, and and obviously we're trying to be positive uh, always, but gee, like it is, there is something in the air right now, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. over the past six years, we've never, we haven't been doing great as a people, have we? I don't know. Um, but sort of jumping into sword and sorcery and not having to, like I don't feel any need to uh teach anyone anything about anything when i'm writing red sonia it's just it's just fun right like it's just delightful um and i think that comes through like i've been sitting around sort of giggling to myself decapitating people um at some point i had to try to like i because that's my go-to i just chop people's heads off so i just need to find some other ways to kill people that's when i go and chop wood and i realize like i'm one of the weird ones in the forest um but 
it, it's it's just delightful and so far um people like the, the fans seem to really enjoy it which is always a nice thing uh we sort of we went big and back to basic which was was dynamite told us to do and what i would have wanted to do anyway like i i don't necessarily see the point of always being like this character but in space like i don't know red sonia in space would be fun don't get me wrong um would make for some interesting outfit choices i don't know uh but i just wanted to do like sword sorcery let's go classic let's go big let's go horrible let's go as far as we dynamite allows us and that's what we're doing and it's i don't know it's a delight in my life is what it is <laughs> i i am sitting here trying to picture how a chainmail spacesuit would work Anyway, later I that. Mean, I mean, they would <laughs> okay. like, oh my God, this is, this is, uh, oh, I was, I'm, I should not be making jokes like this when I'm on the air, so I'm not going to, but uh, there are some jokes here, is what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> besides, besides, you know, taking the back to basics approach, you know, was there, what was like a big non-spoilery? Uh, thing that you wanted to accomplish in a Red Sonia story, uh, also aside from creative ways to murder people. <laughs> well, I mean, the the murdering is the most important thing, of course. Um, I, I think I I don't know. I wanted it to feel to have a sort of sense of urgency from the get go. Like I didn't mm -hmm. want it to be um, just her being drunk for twenty pages before sort of the mission comes along. So I, we had. Uh, a number zero where like it's, it's sort of like the the first like the tavern and everything like which is always how we start a red sonia story right it's like she she drinks she she gets a mission and we're we're off to the races um but i wanted number one to just be like she's hunted from the very beginning uh by multiple people and she doesn't know what's, go what's going on so she's sort of learning what's happening around her as the reader does or the reader knows a little more than she does uh, in many ways um and it was just i had this idea of just i wanted that and i wanted to build a story around it somehow to just make sure that we um kept the tension and uh had the sense of urgency why will we're i mean killing people and and hopefully having some laughs along the way um yeah uh given your body of work given that we already know that you own a sword uh have you ever purchased a pair of sandals and said to yourself yes this would pair well with a sword it what what do you think what what do you like there is a sort of the, the, i am thinking yes scars. <laughs> the, 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 i think i think the problem is um or i mean not the problem i grew up in the like the 80s and 90s where mm -hmm children did not have supervision as we do like we try to do you know we remember the days right um yes. and i have i have a i have a scar on my my uh, my foot where i remember being out like and if like if my kids had come around be like hey can we take the sword and go to the forest and and and, and like play on the rope swing we made poorly um i would probably be like yeah but wear some proper footwear you know Tr try to protect yourself at least a tiny bit 
wear some pants. I did not, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, a lot can be uh, avoided by just taking some basic precautions. We did not because we were living in uh, the, the bright and beautiful early 90s and no one gave a shit, right? Um, so yeah, there were sandals, there were swords, there were like I the I, that was the first time I ever saw like you know when you poke into a wound and you get to the white part and you're like is it is it bone what is this thing uh, but you don't want to go home because you know that's going to be the end of the day like if you go home with this wound someone's going to be like no you're not going back out there so we just didn't go back out there <sighs> those I mean those were great days but I've stopped doing it now like I don't I, no more sandals and but I do have like. I do shoot with my bow and arrow a lot um, at the cabin, of course, because I am a parody of a Norwegian after all. <laughs> uh, you've worked on a lot of fantasy stuff, and sometimes, you know, when you're when you're in a, you know, whether it's it's Asgard or whether it's you know the world of Red Sonia, uh, you know, or adapting Frank Frazetta stuff, you know, sometimes that requires catching the reader up to speed on the mechanics or, or lore of a world without drowning them in exposition. Was there a particular book from anything you've worked on where you found that balance trickier to navigate? See, this is my, this is a nightmare always, right? Is the exposition part. Um, and the thing is like with, when you're doing monthly books, it usually comes up in the very, very, like you, you got lettering done and you're mm. going through the notes and some editor will leave a note going like, I don't know who the fuck is this? I, I, I'm not familiar with this. Look, you have to explain it. Can, can we add in a line going, uh, this is Thor, King of Oscar, blah, blah, blah. like can, can we just add something to it? So everyone, we know who everyone is. Um, and I hate it. Like it is it is possibly the thing that I spend most time on just trying to sort of I've written something I know how it works someone else tells me oh we don't quite understand so now you have to fix it like the the just the hours and days I spend trying to add exposition in clever ways is um I don't know and and I I get into that in almost every book that I work on at some point we get to the point where I realize like oh I've I try to be too poetic here uh, and um, no one understood that, you know, I, I should have used their name instead of just making up some nonsense that I thought was funny and, and lovely. Um, so I would say every book uh, I had that, like, especially like I have an issue of Red Sonia coming up. I think it's uh, like that last pages of number four or something. I spend more time working on two of those pages than the rest of the issue combined. Like it's just trying to make sure that like we get just enough in there so people understand what we're doing, but not enough that people will go exposition. Something, uh, my I have a 15 year old daughter who's just learned what exposition is. So every time we're watching anything, there's exposition, she'll just go exposition. And it's fucking infuriating. So we'll be in the cinema. She'll knock into me and be like, exposition. I'm like, yeah, 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 we got it. So that's the thing. Like, make like if she if I could ever trick her to read anything I'd written, she would be able to point it out. But um, I can't because I'm not cool. As I mean, of course. So uh 
looking looking into the future here or 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 your present you know depending on how scripting works and and you know the overall nature of time but uh you know you're taking over venom you've got a carnage series coming out uh in in prepping for this episode uh i did a little bit of a double take when i saw that as part of all that uh natasha romanoff the black widow is becoming venom or a venom uh, i'm not sure how we get down to nomenclature there but but how did that come about well, the thing is, first of all, I'm not taking over Venom. I'm I'm writing Venom with Al. So he's, okay, he's okay. doing his thing. I'm doing another thing. And then we're sort of at some point smashing the things together. Uh, <laughs> and it's a delight. Uh, working with Al is a sort of, he is, uh, he, he's got his way of looking at stories. And, and whenever he talks about it, he's, he will just look into like he'll start a sentence, he'll think a lot while he's speaking, and then the most brilliant thing ever will come out, and it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, but we're working together, okay. uh, and uh, Natasha, I'm not sure. Like I'm not sure how much I should say about this stuff because there are some rumors online at the moment mm. that are just uh, like I think I know where they started. I don't want to go into specifics because every time you go and, and address specific rumors online, you're sort of, you're losing some sort of battle sure. that I don't want to fight. Um, but there will be some Natasha. Uh, I'm not sure it will be to the extent that people seem to believe uh, at the moment. Uh, but I am writing Natasha right, like in this moment, the moment, like when we get off this call, I will be... Um, writing Venom, I think, 28. Um, and she is featured both in, in 20, like 26 to 28, and she is a fucking delight. Uh, and I will say her symbiote is, I don't know, it is it is so fun. I can't <laughs> see how you can't sort of keep it around because it's just a delightful, nonsensical, um, like with everything with symbi symbiotes, it is a sort of... Uh, there is a lightness to it because every time you I ask the editors like so how does this work like how how does this work like how how did you this do this last time and they're like well we don't know like I don't like it doesn't it's just you have to did you have you read it I'm like yeah yeah we we did that thing I'm like oh sure like and it's sort of like we can do what pretty much whatever we want, as long as it makes sense and uh, and don't sort of kill anything we've done before, right? Um, and it is just a delight to do. Uh, so I'm doing Venom. It is fantastic. Um, and then I'm writing Carnage, which is turning into sort of the most me book I've ever written, I think. Um, <laughs> which is, I don't know if that's something I should tell people, but it's true. Um, uh, I, I think... I, when, like I, I love Jane Foster, and I think I, I was at least for a long while there mostly known for writing the Jane Foster stuff. But she's a lot better. She's a better person than I am. She's better than all of us. Let's face it. But I mean, th that's me at the sort of when I think about what should you do, you do. That's what Jane Foster does. That's not what I do. Like I, I'm, I'm more of it like Frank and Cletus. Like I like my. The horrible men who do horrible things feel very <laughs> at home with uh, the horrible people. And Carnage is just, it's turning out to be just the delight of a book. And I, I hope that people will enjoy it. Um, I really hope so. Uh, because if they don't like it, what am I doing? I don't know. So maybe I shouldn't have 
said that with such like bravado maybe i should just be like well we'll see but it's just if people hate this maybe i should i don't know i don't know but i love it that's my point and and Perret is doing like he's is doing some pages that I think are just um, is some of the best carnage art that's ever been done, which I enjoy a lot. And Cletus is sort of oddly hot. I don't know, sort of a 90s version of... Uh, I just, I can't wait for this damn book to be out there. So yeah, I don't know. I, I have to imagine as, as characters go where you have to go chop wood to find new ways to kill people, Cletus Cassidy would be up there. <laughs> well, I think like you just wanted, because you know there's going to be carnage, right? Um, so you, then we're back to the trying to do the unexpected in some way or another. Um, and I, I hope that's what we're doing. But trying to to be shocking in a symbiote book where um like you have to turn the volume down from time to time just so you can be able to turn it up again and shock people mm. um and it's it's an interesting balance to sort of figure out how to how to play and and how you can do horror in a marvel way without sort of crossing um and like there are some limitations of course of what you can do visually um so I'm trying to find sort of what can we do viscerally, like what can you, what can I make you feel in the back of your throat without, uh, j just with the words and, and some visual clues. Um, but it is a fun challenge, especially like, like we're going back to distractions from, from this time uh, in this world. It's great. Like I highly recommend writing some carnage. It's great. Uh, symbiote lore has become far-reaching and and deep over the decades, you know, and and especially you know in 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 lieu of everything Donnie Cates did, you know, during his Venom run and moving forward from that, you know, how much did you need to sort of catch up moving into these books? Well, I did quite a lot, but I mean, I I read I read Donnie's Venom. Just because I I love it, I think it's it's a great book. Um, and I but there are so many symbiote books. So I've been trying to sort of figure out which are the best ones and which should I be reading. And and uh, but what I did do, just especially for Carnage, not necessarily as much for Venom because for Venom we have a we have a plan. Uh, mm -hmm. But for Carnage, we needed I needed to do something completely different. So I went back to to the nineties and sort of to the, the very beginning. Uh, and read through a lot of the 90s comics and um I've read a lot of them before which is why I loved I think my love for symbiotes came from Carnage in the 90s mm. um and I, I'd sort of forgotten how raw and how rough they are in many ways um and but they're great um so I, I think like that was the for at least for carnage that was the most kind of catch-up thing i did which is go back reread a bunch of the 90s stuff um and and i have all the quotes like the best quotes in a little file folder <laughs> and if you come across that thing like without context i look like a maniac I'm just saying like it's just 
if I die, I just want it on record that someone should just burn my laptop. No one should ever look into that stuff. Just, I don't want to just burn it. That's what we're doing. Uh, bury it in those woods. <laughs> yes. Next to uh, the dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next to the dog. Oh boy. Uh, well, uh, any conventions or signings uh, coming up on the horizon for you? Sure. Well, I'm doing Baltimore. Like, I'm not sure when this come out, comes out. but I'll This will be, be out well before Baltimore. And... <laughs> Excellent. I will be at Baltimore. Come talk to me at Baltimore, please. Just please. I, I don't, I haven't spoken to anyone in months. Just come talk to me. Like, I don't mean to sound pathetic, but I'm in Norway and a cabin in Sweden. Like, it's just, I, I want to talk to copy sweet people. And then I'm doing, I'll be in New York during New York Comic Con. And if you want something signed, just let me know and I'll meet you sneakily next to some sort of somewhere and sign something. Uh, but I, I'm not tabling at New York just because um, it is uh, tiring. And have you been to the bars in New York? Like, why would you try to do both? Like, it will kill you or me at least. Like, uh, um, But I'll be there and then I might do Thought Bubble. I'm thinking about it, possibly doing Thought Bubble this year. Um, and I'm, I'm in Stockholm uh in november so yeah there's a bunch of things coming up and i'll I'll, if you follow me on social media i'll try to like i i I try to keep people posted um and if you're at a convention and you don't have anything signed or you want to get signed you just want to tell me things about the comics you like not necessarily mine but just in general just come talk to me please i'm pathetic and, and lonely at these things and that's a horrible way to end the thing. Come and talk to me for awkward Norwegian conversation is what I'm telling you. Please do. Uh, I have, as as every Norwegian, I have no way to end the conversation. We don't know how to do that. That's on you. Just you have to at some point leave. But please come along and talk to me. So penultimate question. What are you reading right now? What am I reading? Oh, my God. Um, Like comics or just in general? In general. in general, in general, uh, I'm trying to. I'm I'm doing. I'm reading Alexander Baron. Um, Alexander Baron is one of my. That's non the non comics things. Um, he wrote a book called uh, "From the Cities from the Plows," which is a Second World War thing, um, and it's so beautiful. It's it's probably one of my favorite books ever written, and I'm sort of working through all of his other. Uh, books one by one um, as I tend to do when I find something I'm, I really like and I, uh, I also, I'm i also rereading a bunch of Cormac McCarthy books after he died um, still probably my favorite author ever I can't, I don't know why, like it's just so good and for reasons uh, I'm also going through a bunch of um, old Judge Dredd, Judge Anderson stuff these days and sort of reading through a bunch of like Alan Grant um, trying to, uh, to find the essence of it I'm I'm I have a sort of love affair with the 90s these days where I'm trying to figure out why uh, and it's probably because I started reading comics very much in the 90s um, but there is something there that I feel like we lost along the way and I don't think it's just the things that we should lose I think there's something else as well. Um, sort of like, sort of. There's a 
bloodlessness to a lot of things these days that are just it's not about the blood it's about the other stuff um so as so i'm deep into the 90s and and this is like i keep telling people this i should probably shouldn't but i i bought someone's comics collection just for they had like a few things on top and i was like yeah i'm gonna buy the buy the that collection um and then it turned out like it was mostly comics from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And there, I would say at least like 70% is just porn. And it's just so good. So I'm just reading the most horrible, stupid like comics porn. And I'm just amazed at the things that we got to print a few decades ago. We lost something is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, mean, I just enjoy like, I have, I'm finding like books that are just, 80 pages of people fucking and then at the end there's like oh but there were planets all along and it's just okay <laughs> they created the universe okay okay good good for you like it's it's absolutely amazing giving giving new definition to the phrase 80 page giant <laughs> <laughs> and i have to recommend if you haven't read it uh alan grant john wagner simon bisley batman judge dread judgment in gotham Mwah. It is so good. Insane. I love it. It, it is uh, amazing. I'm. I would say that I've. I, I keep coming back to if if I have like one recommendation to people is picking up Lost American, um, mm. which I I keep rereading and it's still just one of those like like oh, it gets me every time every page. It's so good. Um, God, there are a lot of good comics out there. But also just, I always keep up with like the Marvel comics just to make sure that I'm, but that feels more like work, if you know what I mean? So <laughs> when it's just like, this is what I'm reading for the joy of it. And then I read the other comics, like at least these days, a lot of it's just like to keep up and make sure that I'm um, I'm not doing something horribly wrong when I'm writing my stuff. Or just to, to just be like, oh, oh, they're so good. I need to step up my game i need to you know uh torn this has been a fantastic hour final question as we release you back into the world uh how can people follow you online and keep up with rome of x red sonia and everything else that you got going on um sure well i mean i am on all the things like i'm on instagram and and twitter or whatever i, I sort of refuse to say that i'm on x it just sounds ugh, i don't know blue sky um so if you I don't know, Google my name. It's probably the easiest way to get to me just because my, my last name is long in Norwegian. Um, but I'm I'm everywhere and uh, I, I am not particularly active on social media, but I usually keep it posted when there are, uh, like when I have something out or when I'm doing something. Um, but if you want to talk to me, you can just slide into my DMs. As long as you don't, like, if you request feed pics, you better, you better make it fucking great because... I'm seriously, guys, stop it. Like, it's just so stupid. Like, what? Uh, like, my DMs are sort of like, it is a strange collection of comics and uh, not comics. <laughs> I don't know what, what, I don't know. But I mean, come talk to me is what I'm saying. I'm I'm available. All that right, sounded also horrible. I'm sorry. I, I'm. You can come talk to me. I will possibly answer if you uh if you make me laugh there we go torn thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a delight lovely to be here that's it for this week's show 
As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash ComicsXF, where a dollar donation gets you a shout-out at the end of every episode, a $2 donation gets you early access to WMQ&A, and a shout-out at the end of every episode, a $3 donation gets you a sticker, early access, and a shout-out, a $5 donation gets you access to our monthly bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the comic appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, a $25 donation lets you request a primer, one of our custom reading guides for a series, character, or creator, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Will Redmond, Tobias Carroll, Natalie Jordan, Mike Sagawa, Will Nevin, Liz Large, Asimov Fangirl, Carla Pacheco, and Robert Secundus. You're all special, and we love you. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. You can also follow ComicsXF on Facebook and Blue Sky. And until next week, remember, in the 1970s, Stan Lee reportedly used to maintain a collection of toupees that made it appear as if he was growing his hair out. Excelsior! W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.